Lady Vixen Radio, live with your host, Casey Blaze. The hottest show interrupting the airwaves. Hot topics, great music, talent battles, and so much more. On air in one, two, three. Hello, 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 everybody. It's your girl, Casey Blaze. I am super excited about tonight topic. But before I get started, let me introduce my amazing co-host. We have the great Santiago. I'm sure he'll be introducing um, a new uh, name for himself pretty soon. Um, But again, he is in the building. Please say hello. Oh, it looks like we, we are waiting for him to come in. However, tonight we are discussing getting therapy, a sign of weakness in minority communities. Our telephone number tonight, guys, is 914-205-5816. That, again, is 914-205-5816. I'm a little nervous about tonight, and the main reason is because therapy is generally not spoken too much about in the black community um, or any community as, as a whole as far as minority communities go. Um, unfortunately, though, I think it's, it's necessary. It's necessary that we get help. And when we think about um, psychologists or psychiatrists and anytime you think of any type of um, therapy, generally black people feel like we are too strong. I know speaking from, you know, my cultural experience, we feel like we're too strong to get any help. Um, and that's that's the sad and unspoken truth, right? So I put down as our description um, for years that minorities have been following this unspoken rule of not seek, um, seeking help from a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And it's so heavily frowned upon, yet so needed in our community, right? And we do want to talk about that tonight. I want to know, is it because do we not want to go to therapy or seek that kind of help because we have been raised to think that our business is nobody's business? I know in my home growing up, it was like, you know, what goes on in our house stays in our house. What goes on in our house stays in our house. Looks like we're experiencing a bit of technical difficulty. I'm going to play us a quick song, and we'll be back in just a moment. (laughs) Doctor. Dr. Seuss there. Uh-huh. Oh, Dr. 
And we are back. It looks like we had a little bit of technical difficulty. Santiago, can you hear me? Yes, I do. Oh, yes. Can you, you hear me? I hear you perfectly, brother. So I'm going to read you right, your intro because I think it's a great introduction, right? I think yes, you yes. are the man of the new year. I think you're going to have some phenomenal new name to call yourself. Um, but in the meantime, <laughs> you are in the building. Wow. So we're going to say hello. Yes, I am. Hey, everybody, happy new year to everybody. And the new uh, king of the sexual revolution is my new year's name. Um, Yeah, so uh, no more uh, sexologist is the king of the sexual revolution. Um, I still like the plumber, and uh, I got a lot of rave reviews over that one because it's – but also, you know – uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Pipe too is uh, is another name, oh, but anyway, yeah, that's right. a little for for other things. Yeah, there was too too so risque. The Lady Vixen Radio yeah, on a um, risque, yeah, a little risque. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I'm glad you're here. We were talking about people um getting therapy in the minority community, right? And this is such a heavy topic because um it was almost virtually unheard of when I was growing up. You didn't right. hear about people going to get therapy. You actually I don't recall hearing about people experiencing mental disorders. I don't mm-hmm. remember hearing people talk about being depressed, right? Um right, you would right. say you're sad. I would hear people say they were sad or they felt they felt down, but nobody ever really said that they were depressed. Nobody, not especially not as a diagnosis. You understand what I'm saying? If you said depressed, mm-hmm. you were depressed. It wasn't even really considered a diagnosis. It was just like that just meant you were sad. You know what I mean? Right. Um, right. But depression is now considered a diagnosis. It's something that is real. And to the point where they even have signs of, like, it leading to um, suicide and things like that, right? So. It's something right. that should be considered. It's no longer just saying you're sad. You're actually depressed, meaning you're seriously depressed. You got some things wrong <laughs> that you need to figure out. Okay. Why do you right. think it is? I feel like it, I know that you're a part of the Latin community, right? And we're brothers and sisters in that. But yes. is it, was that the same for you? Okay. Was that the same yes. for you? For you, your experience. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it was really kind of unheard of. Um, I can't recall probably any family members um, growing up that, or uh, anyone close to me, actually, that, you know, that was diagnosed with anything. Um, but a lot of it had to do with, you know, uh, uh, of course, uh, you know, people not only, sometimes it's always said that we don't seek treatment. But a lot of times, you know, growing up, with especially a lot of minorities didn't have access to the treatment because of financial reasons or, you know, or insurance or whatever. Um, so there was a lot of different reasons if people felt that they were going through anything, um, maybe in the 60s, 70s, when uh, my my background is Puerto Rican. So a lot of um, Puerto Rican um, migrated here. We're not immigrants. We migrated here. So from Puerto Rico because it's a territory of the United States also. So when they came over here, they pretty much, um, you know, were working class people, uh, low incomes. So there wasn't really too much insurance or too much access to that. Could it have been different years ago where we we would be in a different position today? Of course it would be if, um, 
we were in a different, a different, you know, economical stage or position. But um, you know, we we also looked at some of those things as something we weren't aware of because of where we came from. We dealt with problems, like you said, in house or within the community, um, and 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 probably looked at it as just you know that's it was normal when it wasn't normal, you know. I agree, and I feel like the saddest part for me is um, that a lot of stuff happens in minority communities, right, that causes severe trauma to our people, and we do sweep it under the rug or we keep it hush-hush. Some of us live through the church and we want to, you know, present these personas that we're living right or that they are living right or she or he, whatever, is doing right. Um, so we don't right. want to expose what's going on behind closed doors. And as a result of that, people are growing up and children are being abused and they're growing up. And in their growing up, they're developing psychological problems. They're developing depression, mental disorders that are going unchecked, undiagnosed, um, and, 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 you know, needing in need of some therapy. And we're not really wanting to talk about those things. We're not really wanting to bring those things to the forefront. And I feel like it's very unfair. It's unfair because we walk around, especially being a black woman, right? As a black woman, we carry this um, burden of being strong. And I do call it a burden because you're walking around being told that you are strong. You carry, you're the matriarch of your family, that, you know, you can carry it all. You can do it all. And you're not allowed to really show weakness. And you're not allowed right. to show pain. You're not allowed to show sadness that you're hurt, that you feel overwhelmed and that you can't do it. You can't make it. You feel like you can't do it or you can't make it. Or sometimes people will look at you and say that you're so strong that they don't even think you need you need anything. I've had people tell me that. I've had people tell me, you know what, I don't never feel like I have to check on you because you are so strong. And I'm saying, what kind of nonsense is that to say? You understand what I'm saying? Um, as right. a, just because somebody is quote-unquote strong or appears strong, and sometimes we have to understand right. that being strong or appearing strong doesn't mean that you don't feel like you're going to break, that you don't feel like you're weak, that you want to, you know, that you don't want to, like, give up and say you, you had enough. But being forced into positions of strength, right, does, it almost makes me angry when I hear such things. Oh, she is so strong. But it don't mean that she don't need you to check on it, that it doesn't mean that, you know, he don't need you to check on him. It just means that they appear to be able to handle it all, but you don't know what's going on under, you know, behind those closed doors. You don't know what they're doing, if they're crying, if they're upset. We don't know. And as a result of that, we isolate people that we know. We isolate our loved ones and our members of our family and our community because we make them feel like it would be weak of them to go and seek outside help from a psychologist or from a psychiatrist or from a therapist. And that to me is the most, it's the saddest thing I think I can um, um, equate to growing up the way that I did is one of the saddest things. Um, well, we got, we have, have mm-hmm. yeah. no, we have a few things. I mean, my, my take on it, um, Maybe some will not agree, but there's a there's a lot of things I think that uh, perpetuate were perpetuated as far as um, our communities is the mm-hmm. fact that 
that made the situation, especially for people seeking help or feeling like they um, they weren't weak if they did seek help, is um, one of the issues I have with is self-medication. And um, when I say that, what I mean is there's a lot of individuals that for those that can seek help and, and receive help and afford help, um, they they use what would be over-the-counter drugs or something that may also affect them in the future uh, physically. But when you're sitting there and your way of coping, your coping mechanisms is self-medicating yourself with drugs or alcohol or maybe even cigarettes or even food, um, it just spirals out of control and makes other situations physically worse. Um, so for for my my thought and just you know using uh, you know you know everybody that's been listening to the show for um for a while with us and know that Santiago doesn't drink I don't smoke so for me I've always felt like thinking that on the outside looking in if anyone is self medicating themselves and they don't really know why they need those substances and um or alcohol or anything like that is a lot of times that's their coping mechanism with what they're dealing in life. Now, I've always had a view that everyone needs someone to talk to, an unbiased mm-hmm. or unfamiliar ear, someone that can talk to them without judgment, someone that can talk to them without knowing their background. And I think um, pretty much everybody, you know, and this uh, probably um, a lot of people will disagree with me, but I had uh, specialists um, that I had conversations with and just, you know, um, just getting in their ear and trying to pick their brain. And I said, realistically, if I ever felt I needed someone to talk to, which I do, I talk to somebody here and there and, you know, would want somebody who's not going to be biased towards who I am or what they know of me, then I think mm-hmm. everybody does. And she looked at me like, what, everybody doesn't have issues? I said, well, I disagree with that because I feel you must have some issues if you feel you need to step out your office every five minutes to smoke a cigarette or after Mm -hmm. work you need a drink or you need Mm -hmm. to go somewhere to get some drugs or you need to wake up in the middle of night or or during the day and you got to eat and snack all day long that it becomes Mm -hmm. detrimental to your health. What do you think? I agree with that. And what's interesting is that a lot of people don't look at it from that perspective. We're de- let's, first of not. all, let's look at it from a human experience, right? Take the race out of it. Take your, you know, your ethnic backgrounds out of it. We are all living this human experience, and especially if you're living in a modern-day human experience where you are being forced, right? You're literally, if you look at it and break it down, we are being forced to do things that we typically wouldn't do in the manner that we do it, for example, you're being forced to go into jobs and make sure that you work now technically. We've had, you know, whether there were uh, jobs of gathering and hunting, that was a different type of work, right? Um, that was literally just for your sustenance. That was it, right? You took care of your basic needs. But we're in a, in pushed and um, catapulted into this societal norm, quote, unquote, that requires us to work long hours on a job, right, for a low amount of pay because the amount of time that you're dedicating to these things, right, they don't barely, in, in some cases, take care of your basic 
needs. Now, you're being forced to work a job with a pay that is not comparable to your living arrangement, right? So now you have to be forced to pay hundreds of dollars to keep, quote, unquote, a roof over your head. And then you're being forced not only to keep the roof over your head, right? Now you have to pay to keep running water in your home. You have to pay to keep lights and electricity on so that you can use things to help feed you, right, to help keep you warm, to all of these things that are now your your whole basic livelihood, your ability to take care of your basic needs are dependent upon this. It's dependent upon you working. It's depending upon your children being able to eat and, and, and you know, live in a basic way. Right. It's based on all of these things, right? Your basic, quote, unquote, the basic needs that we have in today's world are dependent upon you going out and doing all of this work. And I'm not opposed to the work. I am opposed to the amount of pay that you're getting, the barely enough in most cases. The majority is making barely enough to accommodate having families and barely able to accommodate taking care of themselves, right? And then, not only that, they put up all of these other little tracks in, 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 in um, between all of that, right? God forbid, and I know you've seen it, if you're driving on a highway, let you pick up a speed okay. past um, the minimal speed limit, right? And then you're being pulled over and you're getting a ticket. Let you park on a street, okay, near any uh, city building, anything like that, you're being charged. Um, ticket. Let you not cut your grass. You're gonna because I live on a place where if you didn't cut your grass, they were charging you a hundred dollars for it. So like all of these other little things are hitting you, right? So you have all of this life pressure building up on you, and then you're expected to sit and smile. Then if you want love and relationships and you're getting involved with people and then you're dealing with the emotions of that, right? If it don't work out, if it works out, if they're stressing you with all of this stuff. And you put it all together. God forbid you have children, and God forbid you have more than one. You put all of it together, and you're now under so much pressure. You have family putting pressure on you. You have friends putting pressure on you. And you're trying to just make it. (laughs) But you're expected to be strong. You're expected not to complain. You're expected to now say you have abandonment issues. Say you have some things going, you were a child of abuse growing up. Anything. You had narcissistic parents, like in the worst way. You understand what I'm saying? Like more than your typical Santiago narcissism. You had like abusive narcissistic parents in the house that you were raised by. And you got all yeah. these things that you try to battle and deal with on your day-to-day. And you're expected to cope and to live. And yeah. because, because minority communities are, are shunning and shaming needing help, and I really think it's because we don't want our business told. We don't want people looking at us like we are um, – we are not the representation of who we say we are, you know, especially if you you got, you know, living under church church folks' rules. <laughs> you, I don't yeah. I call them church folks. If you're living under that, forget about it. You can't. You will never get it. Yeah. No. We have to uh, We have to con ourselves. I always say we have to con ourselves that we're all con men. We have to con ourselves that we will be okay, that we will life will be good. Um, and it's supposed to be called being optimistic, um, being op- op- hopeful that everything will be okay and that we can survive everything. Um, we're never we're never expected to, you know, especially if you have a job or you're dealing with something uh, or you have an occupation that you're making decent money or whatever, that you can't have problems or life that can't 
put you in some type of situation because we we we've seen mental situation because we've seen plenty of people that we were we were kind of shocked when they uh, committed suicide or they mm-hmm. used drugs or alcohol to an extreme that it was detrimental to them. So you know sometimes we we take a lot of these we take the mind we we actually take the mind for granted and, and sometimes don't understand that the mind can be fragile sometimes and in certain situations and dealing with everything that we've dealt with in our life it can it can actually you know you can you can keep bending that rubber band or until that that it does snap um one of the things that i've always felt like i've heard people say that insanity is is working a job that you don't like for 40 to 80 hours a week all your life, and then you die. So mm. some people feel that, you know, even, you know, life life is, is, even if you do have a home, you have a car, you have a family and, a, and, and you know, a marriage, uh, a, a relationship that you feel is successful, some of the things that, you know, like you said, just to survive um, can put you in a position of depression. And just like you were elucidating it and, put, and explaining it and putting the scenario on there did sound depressing. Sound depressing for someone to sit there and do a job that they don't like 40 to 80 hours a week and then they have to deal with so many other things and then any little thing could put that person in, a, in, in kind of a spin cycle that goes down because like you said, they're driving or something, they get pulled over, their mind is somewhere else that they were speeding a little bit or, or, or ran a red light and then, you know, so many things can exacerbate the situation that could put you in, in, in a real, real, real funk in a depressed state. And and, and, and next thing you know, it's just, just like, what do you do next? Oh, I don't have money for, or I don't have the time, or I don't have the insurance for uh, professional help. You go get what? A drink. You go somewhere to get drugs. Now you're inebriated. You're out of your mind, and it, and it makes everything worse. Now you're going... You go home and you get into a fight with your wife or you do something, you know, get angry at your kids because one of them brought uh, a bad grade home or did something. So, I mean, man, it's it's really – I don't want to make well, – I mean, there's so many things about mm-hmm. – Even what you just said, no. right? Have children. Say you have multiple kids. And now they're, behave, they're acting up because you're never home because you have to work to put a roof over their head and make sure they eat and all this stuff, right? And now they're acting out and they're acting up. And you're being called into the teacher to speak a meeting with the principal or the teacher. And now you have to call out of work, which means you miss a day of pay. And now whatever you were making is reduced by a whole day of work. Right. And it's just a constant, if you really think about it, life pressure is enough to make people um have suicidal thoughts and or want to, and not that you would act upon it, but it's like, yo, do you feel like you're trapped in this body, in this life? And it has to be something more, right? It has to be something more. And I feel like I thought that a couple of times. I thought there has to be more than this because there has to be something outside of all of this life pressure and all of this, what you're doing right now. And who do you have to talk? Who do you have to talk to? I recall, and this is like really giving you a little bit of, and this is something personal. I'm, I'm typically not a very, um, I only share my personal business with, you know, people that are close to me. But in case this is, out, you know, going to help somebody else, I have, there have been times where I felt so overwhelmed with life 
right, that I would call a suicide hotline, not to talk, not because I felt like killing myself, but because I felt like I needed somebody to listen to me. I needed to be right. heard. I wanted to get it off of me. I needed to get it, express myself in a way that somebody wasn't going to pacify me with, oh, woo, 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 or you okay. right. you'll be all right. You understand? Because sometimes when you that. share with your mm-hmm. friends, they don't. They don't necessarily, your friends and your family won't necessarily give you the, the exactly. kind of feedback that you need. You understand? And yes. I, would I, agree. Call, I would call a suicide hotline with no intention on committing suicide, but just because I needed an unbiased person to just let me vent, let me get it off right. of my chest, and then I could go about my business. And and, and it yes. sounds crazy, <laughs> you know, but sometimes that's the only way because that's, they, they became a therapist that night. You understand what I'm saying? Because life can be so overwhelming. And you, who do you have to turn to when you're considered the strong one? Who can the right. strong one go to? You know? Weakness. The actual fact to say, I think I think it's a weakness when you don't understand or realize that you have a an issue or a problem or something that you need to talk to somebody about. The weakness to me is when you are not smart enough or make mm-hmm. that decision to get help. That's the weakness. I don't think it's weak to seek help. I think it's weak when you you think you don't need help when you do, um, or not not able to realize that because sometimes, like you said, and um, I said earlier, I alluded to earlier, there was that we need somebody you know that doesn't know us, that can't talk about all the great things we've done or whatever, to say, come on, you don't have a problem, you just did this, you just did that, you make this money, you got that, you got this, um, because people always go there when they talk about mm-hmm. a person. And why why should they be complaining or why should they be going through problems or why should they feel they have problems when you have two cars, when you have a $400,000 home, when you have a a hundred-something, a six-figure job? People are going to think those people don't have issues or or can't have issues. You know, they they don't walk in your shoes. Everybody knows you don't want to walk in the next man's shoes, especially if that person is sitting there thinking about suicide every other day. Would you want to be that person? I'm sure you wouldn't. So you don't even know what that person is dealing with health-wise because today there's a lot of issues and people that are keeping under wraps, they're also in minorities are keeping issues of health under wraps because they don't want to worry other people. They don't want people to stress. They They don't want family members or close friends to also be depressed over your, you know, your reasons for being depressed. Um, there was um, a writer um, a, a specialist that wrote Tanya uh, St. John, Eight Reasons uh, Racial and Ethnic Minorities Receive Less Mental Health Treatment. And some of those reasons are like less access to treatment, less likely to seek treatment, poor quality care, higher levels of stigmas, um, culturally uh, mental health care system, racism, bias, discrimination in treatment settings, and uh, language barriers, uh, lower rates of health insurance. And some of those things are the reasons a lot of minorities, you know, will not seek out that treatment um, or get uh, that treatment. So, um, you know, another number, like even in in minorities that a lot of people probably are not aware of is in in black adults um, that are living with mental health conditions, it's like 18.6%. And Hispanics, it's like 16.3%. So we have some 
some numbers that we we just probably wouldn't even be able to wrap our mind around or even think that it's that high. Mm. I think also, uh, and I'm going to get on to a commercial break, but to just piggyback off of something, it's like, or even bring up what I stated earlier. I know in the black community, we use, especially, I think things are starting to change a little bit, but it was heavily um, impressed upon us that God can fix it, God can take it away, that you need to pray it away um, and keep quiet, pretty much. You keep things to yourself and you just pray. Give it to God is what I used to hear all the time. It's almost like in when it comes to right. um, religion and things like that, you are, are expected not to have a human experience. Like you can't have a breakdown moment. You can't have a cry. I feel like this is too much. Right. You can never have those. You always have to give it to God or pray, pray about it and, and put it on the altar and like leave it there. And all of these things that also make you feel bad if you seek any outside um, help other than the church. Right. But I'm going to play a mm-hmm. song called Movies. We'll be back in just a moment with more great commentary.
you all. What's up? I'm Sierra. What's up, y'all? This is Nicki Minaj. Hey, I'm Mariah Carey. Hey, what's up? It's Jay-Z. You're back with Lady Victim Radio. And we are back. It's your girl, Casey Blaze. And I have the great Santiago in the building. Tonight yes, yes, we're talking yes. about mm-hmm, a serious topic. We're talking about getting therapy. Is it a sign of weakness? And why? If it is so, why is it a sign of weakness in minority communities? And so far, um, going off of what I said before the brief break, is that I think I think religion, and what do you think of this, Santiago? I think religion plays a huge yeah. part in why a lot of minority groups do not seek help outside of the church. They don't seek help outside of um, their family circles. And it's almost yeah. considered taboo to talk about problems. Um. I have another thing that as well. But what do you think about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, it was good you brought that up because that's probably one of the one of the reasons uh, a, a huge part of um, the black community and the Hispanic community doesn't seek out uh, professional help. Um, I actually received a comment from uh, I guess this is not his real name, maybe not, or her. She's from Wisconsin. Uh, in the black community and Hispanics um, often uh, do not seek therapy. Um, often they seek their therapy comes from the churches, or we think it does. Mm. Um, so I think that's that's true because a lot of people lean on, you know, and think about um, probably in the last 20, 30 years or maybe even further than that, I'm sure, that you always hear of um, marriage counseling in the church from your pastor or your your reverend or whoever. Um, for me, mm-hmm. I've, I've seen that before. So if they're seeking some type of counseling from um, from him or her in the church, I, you know, I'm sure they, you know, receive or they feel they get help for other things. But there's always been this marriage counseling thing from the church because when you do get married, a lot of a lot of cultures, a lot of um, people feel that they get married through the church. So when they need that help to to make their marriage strong or help, you know, with some advice or any type of counseling or, um, you know, like I said, trying to 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 bring an estranged relationship back together, they go to the church. They go to their church that. They started, they may have met, they actually attend together, and they, a lot of times, will get married at that church. So that's who they seek help from. And and, and I don't think in the uh, in the white Caucasian community, they, they look, at the, look at it the same way. And a lot of it could be because of economical uh, status and, and, and being, having access. Like, uh, like it says, one of the reasons is... Um, having that access to professional help gives them other options that sometimes we don't have. So we seek what we can, uh, we can actually have access to and have um, afford. To be honest with you, I think going to the church for certain situations is the worst place to go to. And the reason I'm going to say it's the worst place, and I might give some, some pushback what? for this. Um, it's you the will. worst place. And then the you, reason, you, you, but you're telling me, Hold on, mm-hmm. hold on. You, you are you saying that uh, what's his name, Creflo Dollar, wouldn't give you good advice? No, he wouldn't. You mean um, a guy reason, with a name like Creflo Dollar? 
You, you, are you saying the pimps in the pulpit? The pimps in the pulpit won't give you good advice. No, no. I'm just, won't I'm just trying to be funny. Yeah, I, I agree with um, you. <laughs> well, but think about that though. And but people are going to give me pushback, but I hope that they are open-minded enough to hear my answer. The reason okay. why I think the church is the 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 worst place to get um, therapeutic advice from is because you are in a place, especially in modern-day churches, you're in a place where everybody is trying to cover up their sins. They try to act holier than thou. A lot of people try to act like they don't have any sin. They don't fall short. So these are going to be the people giving you advice. Oh, for example, if you come and say you have a sex addiction, you're being judged, believe me, heavily. Oh, you just need to give it up. They're not going to try to figure out why there's a sex addiction in the first place. You understand what I'm saying? They just want to tell you to give it up. It's a sin, fornication, looking at porn. All of that is just a sin. You shouldn't do it. Cut it out. Stop it. It's displeasing to God, period. Okay? As opposed to trying to dig deeper behind, under the surface, why are you going through this addiction? And the reason I use sex addiction is because it's very taboo in the church to talk about such things. You understand what I'm saying? It's very taboo. It's taboo to tell somebody um, that you have such an addiction. They were shunning, um, I believe it was Kirk Franklin, because he outwardly admitted to having a, uh, an addiction to watching pornography. They were trying to shun him in the church. Nobody tried to understand or get a better grip or understanding of why he was having such an addiction in the first place. You understand what I'm saying? A lot of people in the church are very judgmental, and they walk around with these outward um, appearances. So you really can't get good therapeutic advice, and it's the truth. If you're upset listening to it, I'm not trying to offend. I'm not trying to bash the church. I'm saying if you sit back and look at it, how many times have you yourself felt heavy, weighted with the world, maybe had some temptation, maybe fell short, maybe committed acts of fornication, maybe did some drugs, maybe did whatever. How many times have you ever wanted to come and confess it, right? Get it off your chest. Talk about the pressures in your life, and the church has not made you feel welcome enough to do so. If you are being honest with yourself, you'll be able to know that what I'm saying is correct. And it's true. You're not going to get unbiased attention. Most likely your, your information and what you shared is going to be spread throughout the church, all in the name of saying a prayer. We're going to pray for Brother Santiago because let me tell you, girl, he done told me that he <laughs> has an addiction, and we need to pray it out. Pray those demons away. But pray that's it out. Just gossiping. <laughs> it's all, mm, in the, it's yeah. all in the name of prayer. But the gossip, they talking trash about you. They spreading your business information in their prayer circle. They're going to form a whole church-wide prayer circle for you. But really, mm. it's so that they can put their noses up at you, and they can say, oh, he's doing worse than I am. Oh, my right. God. You understand? But we we need to pray for him. The reason I can say that is because back in the day, I was guilty of such a thing. I would pray over you, but I would pray over you by calling other people so we could all pray over you. But technically, I'm spreading your business. You understand what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. I had no intent, real intention behind really praying for you. <laughs> right. And your sex addiction. <laughs> you understand? Right. Um, but it's true. That's why I think the truth. A lot of times they just want to have something against you so they can feel like they are in a better position. And sometimes they, they are hiding their own, you know, their own, uh, scandal 
So, you know, sometimes when you, especially in the church, because, I mean, we can we can probably name some huge evangelists in the past uh, 10, 20 years that got caught up in their own scandals, sex scandals and everything from Baker, uh, Tim Baker and Haggard and all those guys. So if you're mm-hmm. seeking out counseling from them, like, you know, we can also, that's probably a whole different or another show, but, um, you know, to talk mm-hmm. about, you know, those things and going to seek help from somebody, um, yeah, it's already really difficult already when there's already some type of buzz or something going on that you may even know because um, you you are in that community and, you know, you're sitting there and there's individuals in the church or in that in that congregation that are, you know, dealing with something with that person that you're seeking counseling from. Of course. And then if you slowly and you think about it from this perspective as well, um, a lot of times, you know, it's the pastors, especially the higher up in in recognition that the pastor becomes, he's now facing his own set of demons because now he has women coming after him, maybe men coming after him. He's being tempted on all sides. And the unfortunate truth is this. We act like these pastors are above the law, whether it be a man-made law or biblical law, and we think that they are godlike and supposed to be god representative, um, godly representatives um, without absence of sin. Um, again, I always say this, they can't have a human experience. They can't fall. They can't experience temptation. They can't um, commit any sin um, is how we look at these people, yeah. right? And then they walk around committing these sins, and they might need a real quote-unquote prayer, but because they can't bring right. that to the church because they recognize that they are um, supposed to be these representatives of God, um, mm-hmm. they can't go to nobody. And that's why they're committing all kinds of stuff. That's why they will get commit suicide. That's why all kinds of stuff will start to happen with them because they cannot tell anybody that they're falling short. And now they they tell anybody that they're falling short. The whole world is against them, especially if they're like televangelists on, on television. You understand what I'm saying? So they become the biggest frauds yeah. of all time, even if it's inadvertently. Even if their original mission and intention was to spread, you know, God, um, a godly message, once they commit any kind of sin, now they have to carry the burden of that, of lying, protecting the sin, keeping it covered up. you got other other members of the church that is um, profiting and benefiting from their ministry, quote-unquote, these are people also encouraging them to hide it and cover it up. And they're covering it up, covering it up for them. You understand what I'm saying? So I, yeah. in my opinion, they are the worst people to seek out therapy or yeah. therapeutic like anything from them. They are the worst people to do so. It is better for you to go and seek a trained person who is unbiased. They do not know you, right? They don't know you. And 90% of therapy and I'm not just saying this because, you know, I have a degree in psychology. I understand. I actually took it up because I was curious as to understand the minds of people and what it is that they think and what it is that they feel um, from a human experience because it troubles me to think that we can't go to anybody. And as a result of that, we're in a community of people who are suffering from depression, who are suffering from mental illness, and it's going unchecked. It's going unchecked. 
We're not, and I'm yeah. not an advocate. First of all, I'm definitely not an advocate of medications and things like that, right? But I do think if you can understand that you are suffering from something like depression or mental, a mental type disorder, then you can at least begin to understand yourself better, and maybe you can start backing away from self-medication. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. You just gave me an idea for a new name. Uh oh, Lord, what's that? Yeah, for the new year. Yeah, call me <laughs> Reverend. What? Hold on, <laughs> let me say my name. Since since a lot of women will need counseling, and they go to the wait, church. Wait, wait, before you even play, hold on, hold on. Give it. There you me. go. Thank you. They they can come to my church, Reverend. Mm-hmm. Reverend Propitiator. Call me Mr. Reverend Propitiator and come to my church for counseling so I can help you mm-hmm. women mm-hmm. with all your problems. Mm-hmm. I will help you. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not a good one? Oh, I thought that was pretty We're good. trying to okay. get them some help. Okay, okay. How about Reverend, Reverend, Reverend Placator? There you go. Reverend Placator <laughs> at your service. <laughs> Um, personally, <laughs> if you don't want Call me to need further mental uh, mental help from therapy, make your appointment um, at nine one four two zero five five eight one six. Call. Um, I, <laughs> you know what's crazy though? Some people use the, uh, you lead me to our our uh, next portion of the conversation. Some people will okay. use relationships. They get involved with a significant other, and they believe, okay, they put all of their hopes and dreams and um, fulfillment requirements and requests onto a partner who cannot possibly live up to what they need, okay? And because they cannot live up to their walking, they're walking their partners into a trap they themselves are um, going to be completely devastated by the reality that if you couldn't handle it, that, um, you know, another person might not be able to handle what you're dealing with. And it's not fair, even in, in my opinion, it's not fair to completely unleash all of your stuff, your baggage, onto another person who is not equipped to deal with and or handle all of what you have going on if you are not ready to handle all of what you have going on. Is that fair to say? Right, yeah. I was going to say even talking about that, even, you know, I, I made the joke in uh, reference to to kind of like sex, but also that could be uh, one of the things that I didn't mention as um, self-medicating uh, is sex. Um, so some people mm-hmm. see that as also to deal with their, their problems. Um, some probably don't put it high on the list as some of the other things because some of the other things kind of eventually put you in a state of mind that you may seek the sex after being inebriated or intoxicated. So, um, yeah, that could be also an outlet for some of the people that have or in a depressed state or have some, some type of issues and they don't want to talk or find a, a therapist or, or get counseling, they might just seek um, some way to take their mind off of it for a minute 
immediate gratification and, and seek out some sex or, you know, maybe even a, even as far as going to a strip club or a sex outlet, um, you know, they have different places, uh, watch mm-hmm. porn, excessive porn watching, um, you know, masturbation or stuff like that just to get themselves, you know, in a better state of mind or what they think is a better state of mind. But that might be their coping mechanism as well. And you know what? It's true. Because there are plenty of ways and things that I have to slow down because I know people who they act very peculiar to me, or I think they act very peculiar, right? And when I when I stepped outside of myself and I started talking to them and peeling back some of the layers of who they are, I started to learn that a lot of their behavior and the reason they do the things they do is directly related to experiences and traumatic experiences that they have gone through. Um, And as a result, it helped me to understand how to handle and deal with them a bit better. And, they are more appreciative of it. However, it's still to one degree, because I'm a person who believes, you know, most psychiatrists and psychologists, um, anybody in the behavioral health field, I think they have a lot of problems. And um, I think they go into those fields because they have a lot of problems and they want to understand themselves. And and as as it relates to understanding yourself, you can kind of um, understand yourself through understanding people, right? Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like, though, if we're not willing to open ourselves up, at least with the possibility of seeking an outside resource, an outside of yourself resource, an outside of your family and friends, a person who is unbiased, because I think that plays a huge part in you being able to release things and let things go. There is an actor, right? I was watching this documentary. And what's interesting, it's like a it's a series. It's called Black Love, right? It's on demand, have cable. And I was watching this series, if I'm not mistaken, it's on the OWN network. And they're interviewing a whole bunch of couples. Not everybody is black. Some people are interracially married. Um, but one one or more parties are of, you know, the African American um community. So there is one famous actor, I cannot recall his how to pronounce his first name, but he is the actor who played Bubba um, on Forrest Gump. You know, when you talk about the shrimp, and it was him. I can't remember his name, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. I'm a caller, so something like that. Um, however, he was talking about his wife, and he said that he would go, listen to this, he said that he would go sometimes, and, and she would ask him, could he pick something up from the store? He would go to the store, he would collect everything, and something would trigger him, okay? And he would leave everything at the counter, and he would take rides for hours, and he'd be in a rage, okay? His wife didn't know. She just thinking he went to the store, and then hours later he's gone. So she was thinking that, is he seeing somebody else, or what is going on? So he said that he had to, he had to let her know that what triggered him was that he was molested as a child, Right? And something he heard or saw inside of the store triggered his rage, and he had to let it go and walk out the store, get in his car, and drive for hours until the rage subsided, and then he would come home. Mm-hmm. 
He said the minute he made a decision to tell her about it so that he could prepare her because he said it wouldn't be fair of him to not let her know and then have her thinking he's out there stepping out when he really wasn't. Um, Mm. So he decided to share it. And he said the moment he released it, even just to talk about it, right, he never had another one of those episodes. He was holding on to that for 40 or so more years, having raised episodes because he didn't ever share it with anyone. The minute he released it, opened up to his wife, who's not a therapist. I think the biggest problem, too, is that people don't talk about it. People don't talk in general about anything. Right. Unless it's just we complain about basic general stuff. But nobody really talks about anything to anyone, and especially in right. a way that it is more intimate. We're very on the surface, and I say this all the time as well. We are very on the surface. In a lot of cases, we're very superficial. We don't like to dig deep. Nobody really likes to flesh out and talk about the ugly things. Gabrielle Union wrote a book about herself, her life, and she talked about being a child who, when she was aware of pleasuring herself, and people were talking like, oh, my God, I can't believe she was saying that because she she said she was five when she realized that, right? And people, like, bashed her. Now, I said yes because we don't want to hear about a five-year-old doing that, right? However, I felt like nobody wants to hear about ugly truth. She spoke her truth, and I can't talk trash about a person who was willing to speak her truth and expose herself in such a way to say, I am not perfect. I'm not coming from a perfect place. I am flawed. I am beautifully. I am, my truth is ugly. It's not pretty. It's not always pretty. It's not going to be pretty. And, but here is me. I accept me and I release, I release it, whatever she was holding. You understand what I'm saying? Mm. And I feel like a lot of us don't want to get to that place. And because we don't want to get to that place, one of the things that I say often is that I think a lot of people are depressed. A lot of people are suffering from mental disorders and things like that, predominantly because we live in a world that will not allow us to be ourselves. We can't be ourselves, which means we can't express ourselves. We can't talk to nobody about who we are. And that is tragedy to me. Right. That's true. That's, um, that is that is the problem, um, but I think things are changing. Um, I don't think they are. They are. You know, a lot of people are in a different place. Um, they're seeking that help. There's a lot of things that I think affect us in the long term, uh, things that, that could alter the mind um, and also could be, of course, chemically um, uh, passed on to, you know, the next generation or um, to to the unborn child and and future uh future uh um the children of the future and stuff but um you know the thing is is that we can't always seek those we can't seek those alternatives we do need to seek professional help and get an understanding of how speaking to somebody can help us you know understand what we're dealing with and like you said with uh I think his name is Michael Williamson or something like that from Forrest Gump mm-hmm. that you know just just being able to you know you know uh use that as like a catharsis and get that out of his system and and you know it changes you when you're able to talk about it when you're able to get some feedback from somebody who's not going to who's not going to judge you, who's going to be unbiased, like, like you said, um, can help you and, and maybe guide you in the right direction for, 
you know, to get, you know, to get a better understanding, wrap your mind around it and work on it and, and try to, you know, figure out how you can deal with it better as, uh, you know, a, instead of, you know, finding things that can affect you physically and probably also affect you mentally as well by, you know, using using any kind of, um, you know, prescribed drugs or stuff like that. I think I think the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway as well, is that um, we have to start coming from a place as, as just as people in being able to recognize when somebody is going through something or the person that you yeah. think is the most smooth, um, checking on them, seeing if they're okay, um, and really want to know. Because sometimes we'll ask a person, how was your day, or how are, how are things going on? But we have this attitude that says, I'm only asking because it's a nicety, but don't really answer that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Don't really tell me what's going on with you, you know. Um, and I had to learn Sometimes that. it is. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes it is, it, it is a nicety to Sometimes it's the little things. Yeah, sometimes the little it things, is. just saying something nice to somebody can help them. And, you know, so many people, we've heard so many stories where someone says, man, I was having a terrible day. I was ready to go get drunk out of my mind or, you know, look, seek out some type of, a, um, you know, some illicit drugs or something. And they turn around and said someone came and did something nice or said something nice and it changed their trajectory and, and their whole day changed just by that person with, you know, maybe giving them some flowers or saying something nice or just saying, wow, you look great today or something like that. And, you know, it snapped them out of that. And sometimes it's just, it is, it's really that, that, you know, somebody there to say something nice or, you know, do something nice for you. It could be something as small as that and seems so simple, man, but there's so many people that are sitting there and they're not, um, they're going through their things or whatever. They just be, you know, who they are or whatever, and 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 just can't take their time out to be to be kind or nice to someone that just is right there on the edge of going either way. You know, maybe doing something that can hurt them more, or maybe going the other direction, which could be, you know, snapping them out of that and putting them in a better place mentally, where, you know, they can they can feel better about that day and get through the day without doing anything crazy. Well, and then, you know, and it's true. It is true because I just feel like if we are a little bit more um, mindful and try to be a little bit more aware of others, because, you know, personally, Santiago, the last couple of months, I've had some major life events take place. Um, I've had a major life event happen while I was even on the show um, or trying to to do the show. but in saying yeah, that, is. this is this is teaching me that I also have to become a little bit more sensitive to the people that are in my space um, so that I can. Because how many times, I don't know about you, but I've had some family members die and or commit a suicide who I've seen months before, and I could tell something was off and different about them. And I didn't speak up, and I didn't say something. And then a month later, I'm at their right. funeral because they committed suicide. You know, and I, right. and I always feel like, wow, well, I don't know why during the time that I saw them, that them feeling or looking off, I felt it, and I could see it. Yeah. But I didn't act on it. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? And because I didn't act on it, I felt like maybe I could have been the person who said something to them that changed the course of their thinking. Um, right. And if not, at least rest easy knowing that 
I did say something, you know. Right. I feel like we should encourage. And when people are reaching out to you and they're acting out or they're doing things that are a bit off, because sometimes think about it, like you said, we don't hear too many people in our communities telling you, telling us that there is something wrong, that they are really going through some stuff. We'll see it because you'll hear about the gossip. Oh, they were, oh, my God, they've been drinking. They passed out on the street the other night. Oh, my God, they're doing drugs. Oh, my God, they're, you know, passing men around. They're passing women around. They're doing all kinds of stuff. We'll hear about the remnants of them going through stuff. We'll hear about it, right? Those right. are not just. A person doing drugs is not a person who don't have is experiencing depression. Isn't they, they they're going through some stuff. They're medicating themselves. So we'll hear yeah. and gossip what they're going through. But nobody is thinking that. We're just like, Oh, you know, that's a shame. Oh my God, they need to get it together. But we're not looking at it from the perspective of somebody needs to pull them to the side and say, What's going on? What's really going yeah. on going on with you? That's you true. Know, that's true. And that's the there's a lot of people. Out. Yeah. There's a lot of people doing that self-medication, you know, so, I mean, you know, and and it's obvious, like, you know that is detrimental to your health, that can affect your health. How can anybody in their right state of mind not understand that? So you got, you to me, you know, and I don't know why people may disagree or whatever in that, but I'm just saying that's obvious. They have some issues, man. They have some mental issues that are dealing with something because you would say, you know, why am I drinking this much or why am I smoking this much or why am I seeking out these drugs? So you say, oh, I just want to feel good or I like to do it. That's That doesn't make any sense, you know. So it feels good to be healthy. It feels good to be able to think, to be able to be in your right state of mind and experience life to the fullest with a, you know, a, a clear mind, you know, as far as before you go on any uh, break. I just wanted to say those out there seeking that self-medication through me, those those ladies out there, uh, in 2020, you still can do that. Uh, I'll be your, I'll be your drug, um, and there's plenty of me to go around. So, right. <laughs> and uh, and I, I just want to say, <laughs> as the Reverend Placator would say, I have a dream one day that one day we will seek out self-medication to Reverend Placator and you will be fine. Mm. Yes, there you go for 2020. I have a dream. You had that dream. It will stay a dream. Ladies, don't call him for no propitiation if you're trying to get real serious. <laughs> I'm just like a song, and we will be back in just a moment. Can I talk to you for a minute? Cause something's on my mind. Ooh. Uh, listen, girl, you know I love. For a certain kind of guy And I don't fit the mold But If you give me a chance I'll show you uh, Show you the way to ecstasy Show you what real love could be I may not be What you want 
We are back again. 
This is Casey Blaze and the great Santiago. He's yes. been a few people this evening, so I'm just going to keep it simple and call him Santiago for the night. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. So we get that all figured out. But we're talking about a sign of weakness in minority communities is seeking the help of a therapist. And I think the biggest reason that it is considered weak is because it breaks the facade of everything is okay. It breaks the facade of you are you are strong, that you can handle it, that you can carry the world on your shoulders. It breaks the facade of just being um, this perfect illusion that we try to create for ourselves, and we can't show any chinks in our armor. Um, we don't want people to think we're crazy. We don't want people to think that we're chronic complainers, so we can never display anything wrong. But um, I know that you have a comment, I believe, but... Really quickly, mm-hmm. I want to I wanna say express gratitude toward um, Spike Lee. On Netflix, he has an updated version of um, of one of his movies that he did. Um, and now the, the name of it literally just escaped me. Um, where it, it, in, the, in the movie, and I'm sure that you've probably seen it, Santiago, where this one woman had three suitors. She had three lovers. Um, and it, in that, and I'm literally looking at it. I've watched the, the season, all of them. And mm-hmm. But really quick, it'll come to me later. The, the What's interesting about it is that there's a time where she felt she experienced something pretty traumatic. She was robbed at night. She's a young woman. And she's robbed. She's out walking by herself in New York, and she was robbed. And the guy, like, really handled her roughly. And she had a moment where she broke, and she wasn't handling it well. And she realized she wasn't handling it well when somebody was asking her for time. And she turned around and sprayed the person with mace. This was a person who literally only wanted to know what time it was. And her reaction was to shrink back in fear and protect herself. So she maced them um, excessively, mind you. Um, but then afterwards, her friends are like, you need, you need to get some help because you're not okay. And she went and sought out a therapist. And I thought it was so beautiful that, um, that they did that, that, that he would write in his, in his show a beautiful, strong, creative, successful black woman saying she needed help. And he represents it with a a therapist who was also another strong, beautiful black woman. And I thought it was so awesome to see that on TV, you know, because it's breaking down barriers. It's saying you can still be strong and express pain and hurt and grief. And you can go through all of these things that you're going through in this crazy life that we live and you can still be all of those things. You can still be strong. You can still be talented, successful, beautiful, and still be going through something. And you need to talk it out. You need to express it to right. someone else to get it off of your chest so that you're not carrying the weight of that around in the world and then um, giving all of your brokenness to others, you know. So yeah. I thought mm. that was great. Uh, now yeah, i got to find I'm going to... Yeah, I'm going to die from not knowing what, what the name of it is yeah. when I love the show. <laughs> you can't you love it that much, you don't remember. 
I love that show, though. I'm not sure why. It's not. It, like, literally fled me as I was uh, talking about it. <laughs> yeah, I have a comment, but I also wanted to read another statistic was uh, the race with the highest rate of depression um, is prevalent among Hispanics at 2.8%, followed by African Americans at 8.9%, and whites at 78 Uh Interesting there that I didn't know Hispanics were the highest with depression. So if mm. my people need help, get that help. Um, there's professionals out there. There's good people. Uh, don't look at them like some people. And this guy's comment pretty much. He said, um, his name Ike from Minnesota said, I grew up that you have problems. You don't seek out professionals that can't understand where we come from. So I don't agree with that. And yeah, I think a lot of people have those biases that uh, view that someone from another race cannot, or or maybe not the same demographic, could help them with their issues. Because if you've never been around, you could be in the same race but never been uh, or have not experienced uh, life where they come from. They may feel that you cannot give them good advice or uh, therapy. What do you think about that? Um, it depends. In the name of that movie, really quick, because she's got to have it. I knew I, I would have to. Oh yes, put that yes, out there. Yes. Let me see. Yeah, she's yeah, got to have it. So long. Um, yeah. But I feel like, to a degree, I understand where they're coming from. I do believe that certain people who come from a certain, you know, background, right, and and can relate to your experience a bit better. It doesn't mean that a person in another ethnic background or race than you cannot understand where you come from because we all have life stress. But I think a big part of the reason why people in minority groups don't want to seek therapy is because most of the therapists don't look like that. That could be a definite uh, a definite thing, you know, where you don't want, especially if they are of a Caucasian race, you don't want them to see that you're weak or what you have going on, right? Because you don't want – I I know that that has been a thing in my family, and that has been a thing with people that I know. They don't want to appear weak to other races, or they don't want to express or, or say what's going on where now we look bad because somehow you walking – um, with your ethnic background self, you with your Latino self, you with your black self are walking into a white person's office telling them your problems, things that you've gone through as a child, and now you feel like you're representing your entire race of, or culture or ethnic background. You're the representative of all of that, and you're spilling it on their lap. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's very real. Right. People feel that. You mm-hmm. understand? No. But. hmm mm-hmm. No, no, go ahead and finish your thought because I have another point, um, another statistic I want to read. I want to ask you, or what's your take on this also? But go ahead, finish your. I just feel like I do understand and reason that seeing a person who looks like you may be able to relate a bit more to you. I'm not opposed to you going to somebody from another ethnic background as yourself. Um, maybe, and if that is the case, there are plenty of people who are licensed professionals who are of many different races that you can go to that can relate to you a bit better. 
a therapist is not, you know, every therapist is not built and designed for every person coming knocking on their door. So you do have the right to pick and choose who you'd like to see and who's a good fit for yes. you specifically, you know. True. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Um, what population is most affected by mental illness? And I have a thought on this number. It's 19.1% of U.S. adults experience mental illness. Uh, so that's in 2018, 47.6 million people. This represents one in five adults. 4.6 of U.S. adults experienced serious mental illness in 2018. That's um, approximately 11.4 million people. My thought is that there, at, at some point, adults are seeking help, um, and and I guess at some point, you know how you have uh, adults, I guess, experience some. Uh, PTSD or some type of uh, serious issues or, or thoughts of if they have not their life has not materialized or turned out the way they want to, and they're depressed about it. I think when you're younger, you take a lot of those things for granted. You don't think about it like as much, and probably that you cannot seek help uh, or that you're interested in seeking help at that age. If you do think you need help, maybe at a, at a younger age you probably are, 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 would worry about the ridicule you receive from your peers if your peers found out that you were seeing a therapist maybe while you're in high school or middle school. Um, but I think that number actually reflects who I would think well, mostly would seek out that help and would probably be in the situation where they feel that they do have uh, or they're in, in, a, in, a, in a depressed state or have depression um, because – they're reflecting on life all the time. Just you know, you know, you always have the the, the people that always says they're uh, uh, people are in their you know get in their thirties. I mean, their forties and their fifties, and they have you know some type of uh, revelation or some type of thought of changing their life all of a sudden because of everything they went through. And sometimes, if you really think about it, who's sitting in those bars all day long and maybe doing drugs? Sometimes those also are reflective of maybe a lot of people or or the majority of the number that have issues. What do you think? Um, to a great degree, I agree with you. I feel like this. Um, I feel like a lot of us, right, a lot of us are walking around having gone through some serious traumatic life events some not so dramatic in the sense of things happening to us, but some of us have been pushed to believe that we have to accomplish certain dreams and aspirations by a certain age. Oh, you should be in a career. You should have gone to college at this age. You should have been into a career at this age. You should have gotten married at this age, had children at this. So we we have all of these expectations placed upon us, right? Mm -hmm. And then we're living and walking in these expectations. And then when something don't materialize in the time frame that somebody else said it should for you, then you feel like you just greatly disappointed your entire family because you didn't get married by such and such age. Forget the fact that the person you're with is not marriage material. Forget the fact that you don't love that person in that way. Forget all of this. Forget the fact that you're single, okay? You should have been married the last person you were with just so you can give them a family and a wedding and a baby. You understand what I'm saying? And it's not realistic, and we put these hard um, expectations on ourselves to live up to other people's expectations. We put that on ourselves. 
And and the more we do it, the more depressed we become. And then you feel like you're a mm-hmm. failure. But if you take a moment and step back and say, is that really what you want? Forget what your mama wanted. Right. Forget what your grandma Forget what all of them. Forget what everybody else wanted True. for you. Is that really what you wanted for you? Did you want to be married by such and such a time? Did you want the career that you chose? Did you want the do you want children? Some of us just want to do things so that we can check it off of our list of things to do that our family said we should do. But if you really stop and mm. ask yourself in the process of knowing who you are and getting to know who you are, do you really want any of the things that everybody is expecting of you? Is that what you want? I have been told, right. oh, I don't think that you should. Everybody, marriage ain't for everybody. You shouldn't be getting married. You, you so strong. You so strong. And I'm saying, as you go and lay down to your man at night and curl up to him, are you kidding me? Get on out of my face. Do you understand what I'm saying? Who's to say? And yeah. I consider myself strong, but I don't want to always have to be strong. I would like to curl up to a husband in time. You understand what I'm saying? So you can't sit and put that expectation on me because you think I'm too strong to have somebody. You think I should wait until I have a career. You think I should do all of these things. But you're not. I had to slow down because I was I was operating under that, what other people thought. So I had to slow down and ask myself, well, what is it that I want? What would I like to see my life as? And in doing that, I free myself. Once you free yourself from other people's expectations, I tell you, it'll save you. You might not need therapy. That could literally be the way to the key to your mental freedom. The bondage that you're locking yourself into could literally be and you releasing the expectations that other people are putting on you and walking in the reality of who you are and what you want. And let that be that. I Really quick, because this brought something to my um, attention. I remember when I was doing consulting with writers, right, I had this one writer. They came to me, two of them actually, two different scenarios. One of them came to me and he said, you know what, um, uh, I don't really – cursing my every day. My mom is going to be reading this book, and, and my characters, I curse a lot in my book. And I said, number one rule, I live by this. I don't curse in my everyday life. You know, well, there's two exceptions to that rule. But anyway, um, <laughs> because, because I don't curse in my everyday life, just randomly in general curse, I say I never, and my, my, you know, the characters in my, my stories, they do curse. Um, so I say this. Never apologize for your writing, your craft, your gift. Never apologize for it. If your character's cursed, that is them, and that is the expression in which they need to express themselves. So, therefore, you write it unapologetically, no matter who's going to be reading it, number one. Okay? I had another young lady who was writing a story about her life. She went through some very, very traumatic life story situation um, in her upbringing, and her mother was a major culprit of a lot of the abuse that she suffered. And she was very worried and concerned about her mother and her mother's family reading the story, how they would receive that information. And she was like, I don't know. And I said, listen, I said, I don't know you very well, but I'm going to say this, okay? You are not writing a story about your mom. You're writing your story. And your mother just so happens to be in it. And in writing your story and your mother being in it, your mother should have never done to you anything she didn't want to be written about. And that's where I leave that. You understand what I'm saying? So you're not writing a yeah. story about your mom. You're not. This is your story. Your mother is in that story because you have to express what was done to you. 
And if your mother played a part in the things that were horribly done to you, then shame on your mama. And that's where I leave things. I have learned if you were speaking your truth and speaking about yourself, you have to get rid of the expectations that other people put on you. You cannot live in that. You just can't. It doesn't make sense. And the more you free yourself into just being who you naturally are, if you don't like something, express it. If you want more of something, express it. I am very direct in my wants, my needs. If I feel like I, you know, um, anything, I'm very expressive in the things that I want and don't want, what I like and don't like. Yeah. I'm very expressive in these things. So I feel I like actually. Mhm. No, I was gonna say, go ahead. I don't want to stop you this year. What you're saying is awesome. It's just true. You have to be able to release. Release the things that are holding you back by releasing the people and their expectations. You can love people, but you can still be yourself. I'm not doing anything that I do for anybody else. I don't even write my stories for the readers. I write stories and books for myself. If I enjoy the book, then I I put it out into the public, and whoever reads it or put their hands on it, I expect, okay, they're going to either like it or they're not, okay? Right. Um, once I came to that reality, <laughs> then I stopped because I used to get so hurt when somebody left me a bad review on one of my books. I was so devastated. And you know what I did one day? I said, you know what? I went to all of my favorite authors, and I only read their negative reviews. And I said, I think these people are awesome, phenomenal writers. But if they are phenomenal in their own right, making millions of dollars off of their books, who am I to think that I won't get a negative review? So once I release it and said I'm not made for everybody, I don't have to live up to everybody's standards. I'm not going to please everybody in this life. So once I came to that conclusion, I said that I can walk in being myself. I can love myself where I am with all of my imperfections and recognize that I am perfectly imperfect just the way I am. And that is that. And leave it there. And I can bet I know <laughs> when you do curse. The one time you do curse, uh, one of the times. Hold on, let me let me get my <laughs> let me get my uh, you, <laughs> let me get my receive, uh, ready for for a buzzer or two. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! One, I'm sure mm-hmm. everybody wants to know both times, but I'm sure one of the times, which is I know, is when you're receiving the monstrous Milky Way, you're cursing. <laughs> oh my anyway, God. you know, <laughs> I was. I was gonna, I was gonna say that there's a really good movie on mental illness out there that uh, I don't mm-hmm. usually promote other people's stuff. However, when there's someone, something is well written. If you haven't seen the movie The Joker, it's awesome. It's gonna win tons of awards. It's not what people thought it probably would be, but everybody loves the movie. It goes into uh, mental illness. Um, a lot of uh, why this. This guy who became the Joker became the Joker. His background, um, why he became a criminal genius or whatever you want to call him, this deranged guy. But um, it was uh, actor Joaquin Phoenix uh, played the part tremendously, man. And I, I, I didn't hear before I saw the movie. I heard rave, rave reviews. Everybody was, oh man, they just loved the movie. And it's really, it really taps into mental illness. 
and some mm-hmm. of the things that people deal with in life. And obviously what he dealt with, you can also see what bullying and some of those things, how they affect people, especially people that already have some mental issues and they're being bullied. And, you know, I think that's a great movie to see. But um, And, and it taps right into what we're talking about. Yeah. If you Absolutely. haven't seen it yet, I'm sure you will. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, we've actually already reached the end of our hour and a half, Santiago. I'm going to say, if you haven't already, hit the follow button. Tell a friend. Um, yes. Come back and visit mm-hmm. us. We'll be here Tuesday, 8, um, 8.30 p.m. to 10. Again, if you haven't already, hit that follow button and stay tuned for another beautiful, controversial topic. On that note, I'm going to say peace. Santiago passing the mic. Yeah, peace. The healer, the reverend in 2020 says peace. Have a good night. Thanks, everybody, for listening. (laughs) Absolutely. Peace. Thank you for listening and tune in every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Until next time, peace.